Hey guys, welcome to Campbell's Soup Kitchen. This is Marcus, your head chef, your or, uh, orator, and everything else going on with this podcast. Today's episode is actually a great ed- episode. We're talking about, um, I'm stealing a little bit from Joe Rogan here, and um, I'm interviewing my friend Nicole, who is the owner of the Secret Garden um, home in Phoenix. Uh, you guys can find her on Instagram, Secret Garden AZ, right? Yes. Okay. And then... Uh, you can also find that through my Instagram page, uh, mark.campbell, which will be tran- uh, trans- um, transcending itself here in the next uh, two to three months to my full-on photography page. Um, we'll see how that goes. Uh, but today's episode, we're stealing a little bit from Joe Rogan. It's about bandwidth and letting go of things and also uh, creating space and creativity. So with further, no further ado, I'd like to introduce my friend Nicole. How are you today? I'm doing fine, thank you. And you? I'm fantastic. It's a wonderful day. It's a little warm outside for uh, January 4th? January 4th, yes, Saturday. Okay. So it's a little warm outside. But um, so I just got done touring the house, and this is an amazing house. Um, Nicole, thank you. you. Why don't you tell us a little more about the house, like everything you know about the house? Everything that I know, it's a 1929 English Tudor Mm -hmm. uh, over here in the Melrose District, is one of the first six bought and built back in the 1920s. Um, it was originally owned, the first owner was actually the first carpenter for the entire neighborhood okay. by Mr. Payne. Um, this originally, this area was originally a lettuce farm, 200 acres I think it was, the lettuce farm, and uh, was bought and sold for I think $20,000 by Mr. Thomas McKenzie, and from there it's history. There's no other house like this in the neighborhood. There's I think uh, 140 Okay. Homes in the neighborhood, and uh, it's just one of those little gems that you never know it's here until you get here. Nice. Now, I mean, everything about the house is absolutely fantastic. The aesthetics are very um, calming and chill. I like, I like that a lot. Thank you. Uh, floorboard, like, like you guys can't see the floor, uh, the floorboards in here, but like the floorboards are killer. <laughs> like everything in this house is absolutely amazing. Um, so. What so I know we talked about this before uh, earlier um, while I was here. Um, so what made you decide to let people tour the home and shoot in the home? And I moved here about a year and a half ago from North Scottsdale. I moved out of an HOA cookie cutter home. Everything was the same, yada yada. And I came down here to this neighborhood and just absolutely fell in love with the home. And I thought you know what, somebody else out there is going to appreciate this house as much as I do. And I had originally registered it with the Arizona Film Commission or Film Board, whatever that government group is. Mm -hmm. And a month or two later after registering that, somebody knocked on the door and asked if they could use the house as a backdrop to their photos. And I said, sure, you know, why not? So they started shooting in the front yard. Uh, I let them into the backyard and two hours later, they left and it was through that word of mouth that uh, people started contacting me personally to come and shoot and I thought why not it's just a very unique calming space it offers different views and perspectives um, and just a different ambiance than what I had already seen out there online as far as photography goes and studios nice uh, I know I've seen some of your behind-the-scenes stuff that you've done uh, with some of the other photographers. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite uh, favorite set to be part of? 
You know what? There's no particular favorite that stands out because everybody who enters brings something new and different. Mm. Um, I've got photographers that will only use inside. I have ones that only use outside. Um, I have seen engagement couple photos come through here. I've seen Halloween groups come through. I've seen boudoirs and it's all different and it's all beautiful and it's just... Um, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Mm -hmm. And to me, every photograph that's been ever taken in here has always been beautiful. So there's no one particular favorite. Nice. It's just all in perspective. Okay, I can get on board with that. That's, a, that's actually, you know, <laughs> brilliant. Um, especially, like, for, at least for me, coming from a, um, you know, non-trained uh, non photographer background. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at everything. I look at try to look at everything. I'm like, I'm going to shoot everything for the first two years, and then dial it back and say, okay, I don't work with kids. I don't work with animals. I don't work with brides, unless they're you know with their husband. Like <laughs> husband handle this, um, which you know, um, being previously married, I understand we don't have handle of anything around the wedding. Ooh, ouch! <laughs> Not saying anything against any of my uh, you know brides that I'm shooting in the near future. I love y'all. Um, so if you had to pick a room for you to do your own photos in, what would you say was your, would be your favorite room to do a photo in? I had to do my own photos. My, I would probably stick to the living room with the fireplace. Um, to me that just speaks a bourbon in hand with a cigar. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that whole whiskey bar feeling that's in here with the, the, the bright area rug. Mm-hmm. It's uh, 80-year-old area rug. I've got the Chesterfield sofa and chairs, the artwork. Um, everything tells a story that's in this house. I moved here with nothing, and piece by piece, I brought something in that felt good to be here. I had, um, in the past, just bought stuff just to buy stuff. Mm -hmm. I got to a certain age and stage in life where I just wasn't happy with the stuff that was around me. But now everything in this house tells a story. So I have books that are 120 years old. Mm -hmm. I have artwork that's 100 years old. I have, you know, just small pieces here and there that everything tells a story. And that room tells the most stories. Yeah, I can see that. I like that. That's very, you know, that's... As I'm sitting here, I'm getting ideas for things. And um, some of y'all don't know, the like, I have a calendar I already have my calendar uh, planned out for the year and I have now I'm adding stuff to it mentally and this is going to be a very very <laughs> hard working year um, so I mean I like that that's a, like I said it looks really comfortable it super, looks super comfortable in there uh, but this table is like I've seen this table in several photos and this table is just I know I have a couple of uh, a couple of girls I'm working with um, uh, Sally Ray and uh, I know um, Ash photos and mm -hmm. um, ginger uh, ginger smokes they absolutely love this table um, I know they all love the white bathroom as well with the clawfoot oh, bathtub uh -huh. if, you know if you guys don't know about clawfoot bathtubs they are heavy and they are like if you can't find one in town you this is where you need to come to get a photo with one because they are amazing but they're heavy they're heavy, and that is actually the original tub. It's it's been re-enameled, nice. so that's one of the original pieces here in the house, along with the fireplace. But yeah, the dining table is massive, but it also invites everybody in. Mm -hmm. 
easily sits probably 10 people. Yeah, this is like, and, and this is nice. This is very, it has that um, distressed but homemade look uh, to it. You know, I, I really am big on that. I'm big on the, on the, on the homemade stuff. On the, um, I, I don't, like, I don't understand it. I don't like the, um, you know, like, if you get a regular, a normal dining room table, and it's like, oh, it looks like it's wood. And it's like, but it's... No, and that's kind of what I wanted in here. I didn't want anything new. And if you look around, there's not one piece of furniture that's new. None of it is new. Mm -hmm. You can't go to the store and buy another one. Mm -hmm. It's all unique, one-of-a-kind pieces. And that's, I think, what makes this space just that very calming, peaceful space. Everybody that walks through here, um, you know, makes that comment, my God, it's so peaceful. Mm -hmm. And despite being in a very busy part of town, you oh. don't hear anything. Yeah, no, I, 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 you're right. I think about it, like, I just realized I, like, so we are, what, about uh, a thousand feet from the street? From, from, from 7th from Avenue, yeah. yeah, Indian School. So it's a very busy intersection. Um, probably, it's, you know, I didn't cross the light like a dummy. I crossed right at the street, or right at the, right across the street, and... Uh, <laughs> I'm like, I'm, like, I'm like, wow, I'm going to be waiting here for a minute. I might have to walk, you know, back up to the mm -hmm. light. But it's a very busy, 7th Avenue is a very busy street. Um, everything down in the downtown area is um, super busy, especially when they change it to the one way for the... Um, oh, the suicide lane, we call it. Yeah. Yes. I'm like, <laughs> one way in the morning and it's, it's another, the other way in the afternoon. But this whole area, it's, it's filled with creative people. I mean, you've got mm -hmm. art galleries and you've got artists and tattoo parlors. You have salons. You have all kinds of creativeness that goes on in this area. And it, for those that, that like to be around those types of people, this is the place to be. All up and down 7th Avenue. You can't go 100 feet without finding some creative space mm -hmm. to either do your own thing or enjoy somebody else's thing. Well, like I said, this is really nice. I, 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 you know, I know I'm going to be coming to shoot with you, you know, with you here more often. Uh, you know, especially looking forward to my first set um, next week. You know, so we're. It started off as one person, and now it looks like I got three people coming, and I'm like, oh, okay. It's okay. The more the merrier. That's right. what I say. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, all right, all right. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll entertain this. You know, we'll stay busy, and then I'm probably mm -hmm. the week after as well. Um, so let's see here. Um, all right, and you see, uh, remember, you see, you shoot, you shoot a little bit yourself too, right? Not anymore. Not I did anymore. years ago, decades ago at this point. Did a little bit in front of the camera and behind the camera, so I understand most of the lingo that goes on nowadays. Mm -hmm. um, so it's I kind of understand when you guys say you need the right light. I understand you're looking for either sunrise or sunset or. There's too many shadows, which is why I also provide here extra lighting. There's a step ladder if you want to get a certain shot down on. Or in uh, in the summertime, I provide floor fans as mm -hmm. well. Um, so no, I don't do that anymore. But that's why for me it's so interesting to see what you guys come up with. Okay, so you, so you're a fan. Of, you're a fan of watching the process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, back then it was you waited a week to get all your your proofs and your negatives back. Whereas now it's instantaneous, and if you didn't get the right shot the first half dozen times, and you're able to take it again, right for the next <laughs> next dozen. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know it's funny. I I set a um, I actually set a very uh, lofty goal. I was talk, uh, discussing it with one of the, um, one of the models, and I said, "Look, like this year I'm trying to shoot no less than two hundred and fifty shots." 
per person, per outfit, um, you know, and get it turned around and give you 10 good shots out of 250 shots, right? Yeah, that's a lot of work. And, you know, I, I, and my first set, I felt like I came pretty close. I shot with, um, I shot with the gal who lives probably about four miles down the road from here. Mm-hmm. And she's the one who told me about, uh, about your place. So, and... Nice, okay. So, I, again, like, like I said, uh, I met, I've been meeting people. I started with one person I met, um, I met him through Kick. Mm-hmm. And then saw all his work and started following all his models. And then saw that he was friends with another guy I knew in Chandler. So, I started following all their models. And then it's just kind of escalated. And then, you know, I finally clicked on one person and was like, hey. And I'm like, hey. And they like my work. And I'm like would you like to shoot? And then they're like, oh, you need to talk to this person. You need to talk to this person. So um, by and by, I got from from the one photographer who is no longer on Facebook. Um, he, uh, I don't know, or not on Facebook, on Instagram, I don't know what he did, but he's mm-hmm. no longer on there. And uh, one of the gals he shoots is no longer on there either. But he, he started off with, it started off with him and then watched all the events and then um, every single person down the line and several of them have already shot here with you uh, shot here you know so I said yeah I'm going to be shooting over here they're like ah who's going to shoot with you over there I love that place can I drop in I'm like come on <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, I'm like I've already booked it come on like, I'm like I, uh, if I need more time I'm going to have to pay for more time but you know come on right yeah, it's nice to see familiar faces come back photographers and models and it's nice to see you know I might have the same photographer but he brings in a different girl and the outcome is completely different than the first one and vice versa the mm-hmm. same model might come back but with a new photographer mm-hmm. and it's just a whole different vibe that they're they're able to create and that's that's really the beauty of this business is seeing what the final outcome is Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm looking forward to it. Um, there is a, uh, actually one of the photographers, she did a, uh, a Halloween shoot out here. She, she, um, I think you were pouring the fake blood on her. Oh yes. Oh, that, <laughs> that was fun. That actually was fun. So I'm thinking that, um, I, I know we have a, I have a shoot lined up with a, uh, local cosplayer and the girl I'm shooting on Saturday, uh, mm-hmm. Celia and, we were gonna to try to get it done sometime this month, so we can I can have it produced in uh, out by Fe- by Valentine's Day. It's supposed to be a bloody Valentine, and um, we're, we're, every time I look up, we have to, someone's inviting me to another something else. So we're gonna may have to push that out, but it's gonna be great. Um, and you have all the aesthetics here to make that shoot amazing. And that's kind of the beauty of this is you guys can come in. I've had cosplay here before. I've had Rapunzel. I've had, um, I don't know if it was Wonder Woman, but one of those coming through. And then uh, I've had, as you saw, the Halloween one with the Mm -hmm. spilled blood out back. But it's just um, this environment provides a private space. Mm -hmm. So you can get as creative and crazy as you want and nobody's going to be... Right. flashing the evil eye on what the heck are you doing or you know what's going on or are you not drawing a crowd where now it makes everybody uneasy it's just a very private place um you guys come in i leave and it's just mm. you guys to get creative okay. i dig it i dig it uh let's see here so 
in talking about, um, so I'm going to switch gears for a second, and talking about um, bandwidth, you know, so I know you say you went from, uh, from busy, 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 like, kind of lifestyle, right, to slowing it down and changing it up to doing it with the way you want it? I did, I did. <laughs> I just, and I had had it, I was up in North Scottsdale, I was living in a homeowner's uh, run community cookie style house, I was in a dead end retail job, mm-hmm. I was living literally paycheck to paycheck, trying to keep a roof over our heads for me and my two kids, and uh, the job I was at was just non-appreciative type job, and I was like, something's got to give. And I had a friend of mine who offered me a job, so why don't you come work for me? And I was like, yeah, but I don't know anything about this. Because I'm now in the farming and ag community, mm-hmm. as opposed to used furniture. Right. Uh, so I switched my jobs, and then that encouraged me to switch my neighborhood and my environment. And I realized that where I was before, I wasn't happy. Mm-hmm. And I needed to find an environment that made me happy. And walking through the door of this house every day makes me happy. So I, I moved down here with two pieces of furniture and nothing else and a couple of boxes of clothes and everything I've added in, you know, piece by piece. I now have the ability to work from home. I don't have to be stuck in a store all day long. Um, I've made some great friends and neighbors in this neighborhood, whereas before in North Scottsdale, Right. There's, you know, nobody comes out of their house. Nobody interacts. Uh, and it's been a really great change. And it's just something that I needed. I didn't realize how much I needed it mm-hmm. until it actually happened. And, um, I, you know, for anybody else out there who thinks they might need to hit that reset button, I would absolutely encourage them a thousand percent to at least just hit it once mm-hmm. and see what happens. What's the worst that can happen? No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I mean that I mean every like a lot of a lot of people know like I used to I was a chef prior to become uh, to the job I'm doing now I'm a mm-hmm. pharmacy technician now, and so I used to so when it comes to creating art like it's always like I'm feeding you, eat I'm like I don't want to eat it. it's too pretty I'm like eat the food, <laughs> right? Um, and my ex my ex wife and I we were discussing it and she's like it took you. 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, or well, actually, like, 19 years to realize that I was uh, overworking. I was working, like, 100 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, it was barely, I was getting, like, four hours of sleep a night, and um, always short with everybody, right? You know, and um, never went to school for it, but I just, it was work, 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 work come home, shower, change into a new set of chef clothes, go right back to the uh, restaurant, right? And if I did get a day off, it was it was a day off to put all of the greasy, garlicky, onion, right? Like, like what's the, where'd you get blood on your shirt from? Like, I had to butcher a side of beef, like, <laughs> yeah, right? Into the wash, you know, sanitize, cycle, wait for like six hours for it to be finished dry it, you know, maybe spend an hour with my kids. And that's it. I think what happens to a lot of us is we get comfortable mm-hmm. in what we do every day. I was in the used furniture business for 10 years, um, earning retail minimum wage for 10 years and, and making it barely for 10 years. And I, I think you just get to a place where you're, you're comfortable. like, yeah, yeah, but what if I try something new and it doesn't work out? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you tried something new. 
So at least you can say you tried something new. I tried, I, I hate to admit this, no judgment, please, no but judgment. I tried pole dancing mm-hmm. a few months back. I tried it for two months. Mm-hmm. I could, that is a lot harder than I think a lot of people know. Oh, yeah. I gave up. I couldn't do it after two months. So now I do burlesque and ballet classes. But at least I can cross it off and say, you know what? I tried mm-hmm. it. It didn't work, but I tried it. And now I'm trying something else. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I, um, so I, in between my cooking jobs, I, I, teach, um, I was teaching dance classes. I was teaching uh, ballroom dance classes. And I came oh. from California. And one of my students, one of my former students... Um, she stopped dancing at the studio, but she wanted. She had a dance bug. We gave her a really, really nasty dance bug, right? <laughs> so she took on some pole classes and some and the um, the, air, the silks classes, mm-hmm. the aer- aerial, aerial silk, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like I, I saw a video of her recently um, from when she started to now, and she is so buff from taking these pole classes and she takes it serious and now she has a six pack and you know and you know like you know like she, she got guns she has guns but it's the it's nice and it, with the tone it's not it's not like it's like ah oh, right it's not you know it's not um red sonia you know mm-hmm. overload if she's like she, you know, pull herself up on the pole and, you know, she's I'm like, okay. It's I'll. very hard. I mean, I'm, I'm 53 years old and I was probably the oldest one in there. And the other girls in there were half my age, if that. So they had no problem pulling themselves up and twirling and this and that. And I, I, I was like, after two months, I apologize. I'm sorry. I, just, I can't do this. I would mm. rather have somebody else take my spot that can. Mm. And, but at least at my age, I can say I, I did it and I crossed it off. I, you know, I told my mother that story and she's like, Nick, what the hell are you thinking? I said, mom, I'm thinking that I can try it. Mm-hmm. At least I can say I tried it and it didn't work. So now I'm going to try something else. And it, it's, I think that's, you know, you just have to go through a series of trying things mm-hmm. and figuring out what works for you and what makes you happy. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and it's, fun, it's funny you say that because, like I said, I've been, I listen, I, on top of doing the podcast um, and uh, so recording these and, and doing live videos and um, I've also, I also listen to a lot of different people. I, mm-hmm. I listen to Joe Rogan all the time. He's, freaking hilarious son is but he's uh joe rogan's uh, 52 years old right mm-hmm. people don't know this he's like 52 years old he didn't get into comedy until he was 21 right um had been doing taekwondo from the time he was 15 until he was 21 he still he still goes to jujitsu classes every day good for him and i'm like i'm like i i i, I like i know me i get up in the morning and i'm like mm-hmm. you know everything pops and cracks and um, but I also know the next year, my, like my son, I'm signing my son up for jujitsu next year because I don't think he wants to play regular organized sports. Mm-hmm. He sounds excited to play t-ball, you know, he doesn't like to run. He's, he's like his dad. I'm like, look, he's not trying to kill me. I'm not running. Right. If I'm not running late, I'm not running. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then again, I'm also playing softball, and I start playing softball uh, on Sunday, right? And it's like, it's like, oh yeah, one softball game is not gonna kill me. They're double headers. I'm like, oh, that, that 
that's a different story. Like, uh, let me go ahead and just, you know, grab the CBD balm and, you know, knee braces and ankle braces. But at least you can say you're doing it. Oh, yeah. You tried it and you're doing it. Oh, yeah. And I already paid my dues, so I'm going to go ahead and just play the whole season and just, you know, I'll chalk it up at the end of the season and see if I want to play next season. See? That's all it takes is just try it. At least finish through the season. That's what I used to tell my kids is we'd sign up for something because mm -hmm. they wanted to do it or try it. And two or three weeks in, we're like, oh, do we have to go to practice? I said, you signed up for the season. Mm -hmm. You're obligated to at least finish the season. If you don't like it, then we won't repeat the season. Right, absolutely. At least you can say you tried it. And now I'm all about trying things. And if the kids want to try something, then I'm all for it. If they want to try something new as far as eating, mm -hmm. go ahead and try it. You know, if they want to try and build something, go ahead and try it. I used to, when they were little... The dirtier they were, the messier they were, the better the time they had. Oh, yeah. I was all for that. So I, you know, whatever it takes to, to at least try something and realize whether or not it's for you. If it gets you dirty, then it gets you dirty. Mm -hmm. That's why you close in the machine and call it a day. Well, and that's it. But you know, I think you and I grew up in the same kind of society. It was like, oh, you scrape your knee, rub a little dirt on it, keep going. Mm -hmm. Right? And it's, you know, if you didn't scrape your knees... If you didn't fall off your bike, if, you know, at least out here, if you didn't run into a cactus, you know, <laughs> uh, I got a story about that. Um, <laughs> if you didn't run into a cactus, you know, did, were you really living? Right? You yeah, you haven't lived yet in Arizona. If you haven't run into or fallen into a cactus, yes. <laughs> so, um, so growing up, you know, my father thought it was a great idea to teach me how to ride a bike and... Like, I'm great, I'm great on a bike now until I have to, you know, until people try to cut me off, right? Love riding my bike. Um, but I was three, four, or five, one of those three mm -hmm. ages, and we were living in Mesa, East Mesa, and I was riding my bike, and he let go. Mm-hmm. Right? Just like, you know, all parents do, like, okay, keep pumping, keep pumping. I'm still there. No, you're not. <laughs> Because my eyes were closed when you let go. I felt it. <laughs> and I veered off the street, onto the sidewalk, into the neighbor's yard, and crashed into a cactus. Oh, God. Head first? Uh, yeah, face first. <laughs> and it missed my eye, um, but I had, like, four or five of the, the spines, spines yeah, yeah. in my cheek, and, like, six or seven in my arm, and I'm just like... And I couldn't get off the cactus fast enough. I was like... You know, convulsing. Mm -hmm. It was terrible. It was probably this, like one of the three most traumatic events in my entire life, right? And definitely the most traumatic. Like I thought I was dying, and then he's like, "Oh, this might hurt a little." I'm like, "Don't take it out." It's like this is gonna hurt. I'm like, "I don't take it out." It's like, "Well, does it hurt right now?" Yes. Well, I gotta take it out so it'll stop hurting. I'm like, okay. Well, I'm like ah, um, you know, and of course, you know, I'm just like, right. And I try very hard not to let my kids, like, like don't run into the cactus. I'm like, what cactus? I'm like, see, you know, I'm not going to run into one because you're looking for it. <laughs> right. But, um, but, you know, I, like, you know, every, I think every kid needs to go through those little bit of scars too, right? I think they need to fall down and skin their knees and, and, and suck it up. And I was never that mom that if my kid fell down, I wasn't that mom that ran over and hovered as, oh, you poor baby. And mm. I would stand there and just kind of listen and watch. And, okay, they got back up. They're not mm. screaming. They're fine. Right. I, and that's just, that was my style of parenting. 
I mean, my 16-year-old, um, he taught himself how to ride a bike by mistake. He had his bike with the training wheels, mm -hmm. and one of the training wheels had fallen off. And at the time, we lived in a house that was on an incline. The driveway was an incline in a cul-de-sac. So we were looking for tools to put it back on, and he decides, eh, I don't need it. So he takes off the other one, and before I could stop him, he had hopped on his bike, and he was, I think, four, mm -hmm. and went down the driveway. And I thought, oh, crap. And I watched him go down the driveway, cross the street into the neighbor's yard, and face-planted into the bush, just like you did, mm -hmm. and I waited. I didn't scream, I didn't, oh my God, are you okay? I waited. Mm -hmm. And there was five seconds of dead silence, and next thing you know, oh, can I do that again? I said, okay. <laughs> but I think that's whether you're three or 33 or 53, mm -hmm. I think you just need to take that chance and then see what happens. Um, hopefully it's not, you know, detrimental, life altering to the point where you can't get back up. But right. I think everybody needs to have that type of light bulb moment mm -hmm. where they just have to stick it out and see what happens. And that's what I did by coming down here. Stuck it out to see what happens. I thought, you know what, I'll give it a couple of years. If it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. At least I can say I tried it. Yeah, and, and, and I do have to say, though, you know, I, I, I would be hard-pressed to believe that, you know, the uh, photography and film community wouldn't be, you know, like, hey, wait a minute. No, 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 you can't go anywhere. Like, we are, like, we are, like, we are taking care of you. <laughs> Right. That's nice to hear. Oh, thank you. Um, and, you know, because I am a firm believer that we all take care of one another. Um, you know, people don't fall into the situations that they do and help one another out the way they do unless they are looking to help one another out. And I think that just holds true for society in general. We should all be able to help each other out whenever we can and, and hold each other tight and... Um, whether it's photography or, or modeling or artists or murals or just, you know, support mm -hmm. each other every, every which way we can. And, you know, I try and instill that in my kids. Oh, um, absolutely. This isn't the best neighborhood. You know, once in a while we have homeless that come by or on the street corner. And, um, you know, I tell my kids, I said, that's somebody's baby. Mm -hmm. And they may be 65 years old wrapped in a blanket but I remind them remember that's somebody's baby mm -hmm. they may not be married they may not have siblings they may not you know have anybody else but that is somebody's child and you need to do whatever you can to help those people and we will we'll go out and hand out t-shirts or blankets if I get spares or mm -hmm. if there's somebody on the corner we'll drive through and pick up a meal or something right you just do what you can when you can and that's what I mean and even with that that's all we that's all we can do is this you know I do, um, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine and we were, uh, her and I and the bus driver were talking about, um, how the buses, you know, like they, they will cut off service. They, they kind of cut off service mm -hmm. going past, you know, going into the East Valley. So after a certain time, you, oh, can't, okay. you, you can't get into the East, into the East Valley at night. Right. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you know. Here's where Valley Metro, here's where the city officials can actually, you know, do something and do something that the city will get behind. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, buy one of these warehouses. Throw a bunch of cots in it. Right? You know, yes, maybe you should chain the cot to the floor. Right? Or bolts it <laughs> to the floor. Right? Yes. But, you know, throw those in there. Right? Leave, you know 
shower tokens, right? Mm-hmm. You know, leave some, you know, give a bathroom facility, leave some shower tokens, and pay someone to go in there and clean it up at the end of the, you know, the next morning, right? I guarantee you that, okay, well, if I, as far as I can go is exactly to right here where this facility is, I'll go to the facility every night if I'm if I'm poor and homeless and mm-hmm. everything else. Thank you, Mayor Mesa. Thank you, Mayor Tempe. Thank you, Mayor Gilbert. Mayor Chandler. Right. Yeah. You know, Phoenix. All the all the they have all the places out here in Phoenix. All the you know they have a a couple of hotels down here that uh, I think you mom runs now for. Oh uh, yeah, down in Burena. Mm-hmm, as a homeless shelter. Mm-hmm. And like. That's brilliant. That was brilliant for them to just like, oh, we'll just buy the property, right? We're going to fill in the pool. You guys aren't getting a pool. <laughs> but we'll pay for the property. We'll pay for the utilities. We're going to help you out. Like, that's a brilliant, that was a brilliant move. But, you know, helping out, helping out everyone. I, when I was younger, I used to, I used to have more money coming in when I was younger. I would go buy a stack of bus passes at Circle K and... You know, hand them out to the. Oh, you did. Yeah. Well, that's nice. And it's like, you know, especially in the summertime, I was like, "Hey, yeah. you were sweating like, here, just take just the bus. Just ride the bus. Just, yeah. Just go hop on the bus. Like, there's a, sh- a shelter right over here. Like, you know, they may be able to get you some food. They may, you know, help you, you know, get cleaned up. You know, so you're not, you know, suffering so as bad. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I hand out bus passes and. If I went by um, like Pasta Cristo or something, I was like, hey, there's people down here, you know, you guys are... And then uh, my father used to pick up for them all the time. He used to pick up food box, uh, pick up their uh, their food runs. So he'd go over, take one of the trucks, go to the stores, pick mm-hmm. up all the stuff that they're donating and drop it off. And So, I mean, it's a good time. We learned, we learned a lot. We learned a lot about, you know, how the system works. System works and how to take care of each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you said, going back to that point, it's just people just need to learn to, to care about somebody else, even if it's just for a minute. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it'd be a much easier place to get along with. Oh no, it's just it's a matter of I guess having that that caring in your system that's inbred in you. It, it, people are a product of their environment. Mm-hmm. You know, from the time they're just little kids, and some people have a hard time believing that. But when you go back to your absolute core of who you are, mm-hmm. you realize, yeah, that's what it was like at my house. That's how I was brought up. It's like you were taught, your dad taught you to take chances by letting go of that bike. Right. You're probably terrified now of maybe taking chances. I don't know. Well, no, because you took a chance by leaving. You know, leaving the the, the uh, restaurant jobs, absolutely, and and I um, took a major chance on that, and you know I got into a profession where it's like, oh you by the way here's your license to dispense medication to people that may or may not save their life, and um, if you screw up you're gonna lose your job immediately and your license. Um, on top of that, you have uh, these first two years to get certified, which if you don't, then you can no longer work in a pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do this, uh, it's like there's so many stipulations to it. And it's just like, so the last two and a half years, I've been stressing out, right? Beyond just having being a father of a daughter, and you know, mm-hmm. you know, her telling me at the age of three she wanted the boyfriend that made all my hair fall out. 
But are you happier? Am I happier? Are you happier now where you're at? Um, I am having a lot better. I'm, I'm having a lot more fun. Um, I'm having it's a lot easier because I'm, I'm not yelling mm-hmm. at people. I'm not, you know, frustrated about the food. I'm not frustrated about you know, you know. Did you treat that meal like you're serving it to your mom? Did you treat it like you're serving it to your girlfriend, your wife, your child? Mm-hmm. Right. If your grandmama wouldn't eat it, would you eat it? Right. I don't know how many times I've had to, you know, preach that sermon. But, you know, you figure 52 times in mm-hmm. 19 years. So, a lot of times to have to tell someone that looks terrible, do it again. Right? And I, I don't like being that guy. I'm, I hate being that guy. Because people don't like to be, they view it as criticism. They don't like to be criticized. They think they're putting their best foot forward to start with. Mm-hmm. And I, I was the same way. I, my son said to me, Mom, one day, this was a couple of years ago, why do you always yell? Why do you always yell? And I had to stop myself and take a, take a step back and think about it. I said, oh my God, I was always yelling. I was yelling about getting in the car I was yelling about putting your shoes on I was yelling about let the dog out I was yelling about everything Mm -hmm. and that's when I realized I was yelling because I was so unhappy Mm -hmm. and just I was miserable with the spot I was in my life and I had to just figure out a way to change that so all these opportunities started coming about and I said you know what this is all the change that I need but it's you don't want to be that guy like you said you don't Mm -hmm. want to be that person remembered for always yelling are always criticizing or always right. you know dumping on the other person mm-hmm. and I think that's what forces us to make that change now that change was uh, well, I'm not gonna lie the change was um, difficult because I went from making I was making like 17, 18, 19 dollars an hour mm-hmm. um, because my last the very last restaurant I worked at was uh, a bakery I'm not gonna mention it because I don't want to get sued or anything um I was working at a bakery and I was their assistant manager, the assistant general manager. As um, you know, mm-hmm. general manager said, treat it like your store. I want you to treat this like your store. I'm like, okay. And I looked at him and as my store, you need to go home because you've been here too long. Mm-hmm. This person is, you know, this person, this person, this person, this person, and myself all need races. And um, we need to figure out a way to, you know, you speed up and ramp up and you know and then over the course of the time of course we brought in more money uh, in the short time I was there I was there like a year and a half and their revenue increased like 9% 12% oh it's pretty good for rest for restaurant eating mm-hmm. facility yeah and I'm like and service got better we got better Yelp reviews um, we made it a, a deal that on Saturday, like on Saturday mornings, mm-hmm. I would I would do breakfast as the manager. Like I'm supposed to be out front in shirt and tie. I'm like, I have my chef coat on over my shirt and tie, right? <laughs> and I'm making all the breakfasts, right? I'm like, oh. you just do, you work on lunch. I'm doing all the breakfast, right? We never had any complaints. All the breakfast went out perfect. Like everything was smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was doing all the catering, so I was making uh, my. Uh, my salary, which wasn't a whole lot, but my tips from the catering were kind of like bumping me up to the to the level where I should have been. Great, perfect. And then I just one day lost it and flipped out on the staff and just like, all right, 
you guys are all complaining too much. Like, you never show up to work on time. Like, I don't know what's going on. You guys don't talk to me about these things. I'm done. Right? And, you know, I was done. And I, you know, I talk, I called you know, the medical manager and our regional manager. And I said, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Here are my keys. And they cut me a check. And I was out. And so how did that feel? It okay. So the when I, when I first did it, mm-hmm. great. Like mm-hmm. two days later, when I realized I was going to be broke, <laughs> oh shit, set. Yeah, it was like, settled in. It's like it's like, like, what did I just do? Like, how did, what, what, I mean, I must be stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took a little part time gig at a uh, place called Rocket Burger, right? My friend was leaving. They asked me to come in. I went in there and um, like, and I dummied up. I always like. Like, I'm pretty sure one of my managers is going to hear this eventually. And they're like, oh, you sneaky. <laughs> I, when I go into a new job, I dummy up for the first two weeks. Mm-hmm. Right? And I'm like, show me. I don't know how to do this. Right? And this is every restaurant I've ever worked in. Um, but I, I take that everywhere. I'm like, I, don't, I have no idea what I'm doing. So why don't you just show me? Right? And they show me and I ask all the questions. And they show me and, you know, I'm taking mental notes and... And then two weeks later, they come back to check on me, right? And I'm like, you know, they're like, dude, like, did you leave any work for anybody else to do? I'm like, no, what do you mean? Like, no, I'm, I'm a really good listener. So. Like, I'm like, like, I read your book. Like, what, what do you mean? Like, yeah. I, I, <laughs> uh, who was that? It was uh, George Patton, who said how he beat Rommel. He said, you know, um, in, in tank warfare mm-hmm. he said uh, Patton says I read Rommel's book that's how I beat him I'm like it's a good line to carry right yeah like, like I still don't understand how you beat Rommel I read your book like you, you're a dummy you told you told us how you do tank warfare in your book um, but basically that's like that's every job I go to I was like where's the manual and they're like right here and like, read the pdf file you know mm-hmm. Read the job description. I'm like, okay, and and they're like, wait, we didn't teach you that. I'm like, I know. They're like, how did you learn that? I'm like, read the book. I'm like, read the book. Like, is it is that in the book? I'm like, yeah, right here, page like, and like, I'm like, it's in this file, like page mm-hmm. fifteen, line forty seven, and they're like, all right. <laughs> read the book, tank warfare. I'll have to remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, it, it, no, you're right. You're fine. Because when people don't, the people miss that part of history, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, um, it, it's like, uh, when you, okay, so anybody from, from, uh, from Asia, right? They're like, you know, they, the, the, the required reading is, um, Sun Tzun and, um, Miyamoto, uh, Miyamashi, the, uh, the, the Book of the Five Rings and the Sun mm-hmm. and, um, and the art of war, like those are books that you know, they are books on military battles. Those are books for life, right? And um, and, I've, and I've read the five book of the five rings, and I read the art of war, and it's in one of the pieces in the art of war is like um, always understand, like always think to what your opponent would do if they looked at your uh, what you're bringing to the to the fight, right? Like and so almost putting yourself in their shoes. Mm-hmm. And it's so good for interviews. It is amazing for interviews because mm-hmm. when you like, so when someone's interviewing, you know, and they're saying, 
you know, like, well, I would really like to work with this company. I like, you know, I've heard you guys have an amazing culture. Mm-hmm. But in all, all in all, I'm really wondering, if you had to put together the perfect employee, what would that be? Right? And that stops the managers cold in their tracks because they're like, well... Because you just turned the tables. Right, because now they're like... Well, wait a minute now. What, now, what would be the perfect place? Now they're thinking about everybody they have working for them, mm-hmm. right? Like, well, I can't model you after this person. I can't model you after that person. But, well, you know, someone dependable, someone who's going to, you know, follow the rules and not be afraid to tell me, when they, um, tell me as the manager that they think I'm wrong and then turn around and support their facts and mm-hmm. findings. Okay, perfect. You're like... And what would you be bring it bring to the table? Well, I'm not going to be afraid to tell you that you're wrong. I'm not going to do it often, but if I, but if I do, usually nine times out of ten, you're going to hear it. You're going to hear it, and I do have supporting facts. And who's to say what you contribute to that conversation doesn't improve things down the line for either the employer or the interviewee or, or even the company as a whole? Mm-hmm. So why not speak up? Right. Why not say something? I mean, I, I, my kid, my 13-year-old is, she's going to kill me. She's terrified of speaking up. And mm-hmm. I said, like, you know what? If you don't speak up, you're going to be left behind. And you're going to be the one that's not going to be included in this, that, or the other thing. Or you're going to miss out on something fantastic. Mm-hmm. If you don't want mustard on your hamburger, say something. Don't order it. Let it sit there. And now it gets thrown out. Right. Speak up. Because you don't know. What's going to happen in the end? Absolutely, and see now that even that with that like that's another reason why I got into. Hold on a second here. Uh, okay, so um, we got about fifteen minutes because apparently this is not telling me we only have an hour uh, maximum recording time. Oh, sorry, jibber <laughs> jaw. Uh, no, no, it's fine. Um, but you know, this is like one of the reasons why I got into the podcasting. Uh, part of it is that, um, well, there it goes. I can have a, an intelligible call, a conversation with people. Mm-hmm. But apparently one of the ex-girlfriends I had said, you, you your reflection, your reflection's good. Your, you know, conversation's fantastic. The content's great. Mm-hmm. I just don't like talking to you because you use a, uh, a, you're thinking too frequently in your thoughts. And I said, all right, well, I guess I'm going to go ahead and just try something different. So... I irritated her by getting on Facebook Live every morning, right? <laughs> and just talking about how beautiful the day was and trying to make positive, it... Positive, yeah. Right? Uh, bringing a positive thought process to it. Mm-hmm. And then a friend of mine saw me on Snapchat and he says, Man, you have a really nice radio voice. You should be try podcasting or radio. He suggested this app, uh, Anchor app. Now, you know, again, creative space. This is a great creative space mm-hmm. for people who don't speak up. Because she can plug her headphones in and go back there in the room and write out everything that she wants to talk about. She could just journal. I was like, this is journal entry, whatever, mm-hmm. right? And just talk about living in a 1929 English Tudor home, right? Being around photographers and models and artists and having a wonderful mom, right? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> right? Uh, she could talk about, I didn't get, I ordered the hamburger and they put mustard on it because I wasn't paying attention and I didn't say anything about it, right? Mm-hmm. The first few podcasts I did were 
seven minutes, ten minutes max, right? Mm-hmm. Because it was just daily rambling. It was... Um, Rambling's good, yes. Right. It's a... They're recipes for life. This is what the whole podcast is about, is recipes for um, understanding life and understanding ourselves and, you know, bringing things in and bringing things together and taking things apart. Mm-hmm. Pardon me. Um which is why, you know, I wanted to do the interview with you because you have uh, mentioned about, you know, having a great creation uh, space for it to create and being creative and, you know, taking an idea from one piece of paper and putting it onto a calendar. You, I showed you the pictures of that and, you know, and I think you're ecstatic, just as ecstatic as I was about it. Just, <laughs> as, just as much as my uh, uh, girls I'm shooting, the models I'm shooting, they're like, I'm like, here's the layout for the whole year. And they're like, woo! <laughs> Like, I can see it, like, everyone's fired up about it, and it's, I am so, 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 like, jazzed to, you know. And you should be. You've already got that creative thing. Being creative is is a three-part thing, is what I tell my kids. You have a thought up here. Mm -hmm. You have a thought in your brain that's fueled by the passion in your heart, Mm -hmm. which makes you almost forces you to to produce something that is tangible nine times out of ten is a tangible thing that you hold in your hand so it goes from your head with your heart to your hand Mm -hmm. and when you you've already started with your calendar of what you want to do every month Mm -hmm. and now you have that chance to go ahead and I would put up 12 pieces of paper one for every month Mm -hmm. and as a thought comes in your head because I have to do this because I'm old but as a thought comes in my head, I got to jot it down. And whether it's a one-word thought like blue, the color blue, mm-hmm. or maybe in February it's the color red, mm-hmm. or in April it's April showers, spring May flowers, that mm-hmm. type of scenario, just start writing them down. And as you get closer to your shoot date, mm-hmm. you can either cross off like, eh, no, it doesn't make sense, it's not going to work, or just keep adding. Mm-hmm. And that's... When they have a project due, when the kids have a project due, when it's hopefully two weeks out and not two days out, they start by just jotting down one-word ideas. And as they're working on their project, they're crossing out, okay, that's not going to work. I'm going to have to try it this way. Mm-hmm. And it, it gives them the chance to get that much more creative. Granted, they may not have written down a lot, but what they wrote down was pertinent, mm-hmm. and then what they crossed off was even more pertinent. Right. Um, so I think what you've got is a good foundation, and again, it's it's taking what's in your brain and fueling it with your heart, because mm-hmm. that's what really creativity is all about, is, is you've got that passion for whatever it is, um, whether it's painting or photography or pottery or quilting. Mm-hmm. If you if you can fuel that creative passion spout, I think what you end up with is something that's five times more than what you ever thought it could be. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's you know it's one person's craziness is another person's norm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at I love art. I absolutely love art. I collect art. Yada yada yada. If you look at uh, Vincent Van Gogh. Mm-hmm. And his craziness when it came to cutting off his ear. Well, why did he do that? To him, it was the norm. It was the normal way to get somebody's attention. Right. Eek, really? Uh, a bit extreme, but... But, look what happened. I mean, we, we all know um, 
Van Gogh for, yes, cutting off his ear. We mm-hmm. all know him for Starry Starry Night. We all know mm-hmm. him for the picture of the, the screamer. Sunflowers. And the, yeah, you're right. And you're right. It's like, it's like okay, so I have a full gallery full of things. Now I'm just going to go completely off the deep end for like five seconds. Mm-hmm. Right? And um, I, I guess that's what I'm looking at with my photography stuff. Is like, I know I shoot. I shoot. I, I think my work is great. I like my work. Right? Uh, the artsy stuff. And that's I what should, you should think. Right? Um, so the artsy stuff I thought was really great. Um, the portraits and, and modeling stuff that I'm getting into, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to keep it clean. I, like, at first I was like, I'm just going to keep it clean. I'm going to keep it clean, right? And then as I'm talking to people, they're like, so would you mind if I did just like, I'm like, and my brain starts to hurt and like, <laughs> like static is not reaching the other side of the brain because like, dude, this works, this sells, mm-hmm. they're offering, you don't, like, they asked you, not the other way around, right? But that's their creative thought being fueled by their passion in their heart. Right. Is by them taking it off or whatever, or mm-hmm. standing on their head or, or whatever, lying on the table. But that's, and that's what you and I have to accept as their form of creativity and art. Mm-hmm. You're, you, you can't define art. No, I can't. You're absolutely right. We can't. We uh, we as the as the people behind the lens, as the people in front of the lens, as the supporting staff. Like, we no nobody can define the art, right? Mm-mm. I but you know I and in the conversation I have with um, with Miss Celia on the for on our first shoot, I said I have no qualms. I have like like there's nothing you could possibly say to me, right? That's going to make me say we're not shooting that, right? Because I like, I'm, I'm like, I want you to feel happy and free, and, and you know, and understand that this is your art, right? Mm-hmm. And there are implied parts that are going to be public, right? And there are other parts that are going to be. I'm like, I'm going to turn around and say, I will get this printed for you and for sale if the art, if the model says she wants to have, if she's okay with it, on the website, okay, you know, oh, you saw one of the girls and you want a, you know. 19 by 20 print uh, canvas print for your house okay well that's going to be like 150 dollars because i have to pay her for the right for her part of the rights i have to pay myself for the creative genius and i have to pay to get it you know mounted and shipped mm-hmm. so sorry so, so sorry charlie oh and i have to turn around and pay uh royalties to whomever i whosever space i use to shoot it right which you know i again i'm perfectly fine with right um, one of the, what's the worst that can happen? Well, what's the worst that what's can happen? What's the worst that can happen if somebody decides, you know what, take a picture? I mean, nothing. Nothing, absolutely nothing, because, you know, this is a society where we, it is not socially acceptable, but it is also socially acceptable. So it's, it's, a, it's a gray area where everyone's like, so I lose 200 fans over here because I shot, you know, you know, boudoir and nude shots but on the other side I gained 200 followers uh, mm-hmm. because like you you gave zero you know zero zero tolerance zero, or whatever right and but you made it artistic and it wasn't lewd it was um, a friend of mine and I were talking and he said the difference between um, for someone between taking photos is Playboy and Hustler right mm-hmm. Playboy's refined Hustler is very you know, not refined. Not refined. Is 
Like this is the magazine you find in, the, in a in a in a bar. This is the magazine you find in the bookstore, right? Like, the, the choice is yours. What you want to shoot. <laughs> yeah. And, and why not? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just you know, like they say, you throw you throw it against the wall and see what sticks. Mm-hmm. So why not? If it sticks, great. If it doesn't stick, then you throw it on another wall or choose something else to throw. Right. That's all. It's, life is all about taking chances and if you don't take the chances you're going to end up I don't know how to say regretting it at the end of the day but you might end up regretting it oh I agree with that I agree with that um, so I'll tell you what we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up and then like I really enjoyed the conversation I think we might have to do, uh, do another one. if you want to come back you're more than welcome to come back <laughs> All right, we'll have another conversation. We'll okay. have to figure out what we want to talk about next time. Um, but thank you very much, Nicole. And You're very welcome. Uh, for those of you who are who listen to the whole thing, again, reach out to me if you want to find out about this lovely gem of a home. Um, I will give you all the, I'll give some information how to contact Miss Nicole. She is fantastic to talk to. And I will talk to everybody soon. Enjoy the recording. Thank you.